Thanks for joining us this week on PI Perspectives. Matt gets back to regular show content with Lacey Keller from Griffin Strategies. Lacey joins us to discuss big data. What is big data, you ask? You're about to find out. You'll also find out how you can add this type of due diligence to your investigator's toolbox. Lacey has a strong computer program background and used those skills for many years working for the New York State Attorney General. This episode is brought to you by Crosstracks Case Management Software. Crosstracks integrates with programs you already use like QuickBooks, DelvePoint, ScopeNow, Investigation Video Editor, Word, and more. The integrations combined with powerful features such as automated audio transcription and report generation help investigators generate revenue and improve efficiency. The system can be customized for any investigative specialty. Start your free trial today at crosstracks.co and use promo code PIP20. And speaking of DelvePoint, they're also sponsoring this episode. DelvePoint was founded by investigators with more than 70 years of combined service in the industry. From missing persons cases and custody disputes to insurance investigations and criminal cases, DelvePoint's billions of records from all three credit bureaus allows you to develop a complete profile of your subject. Now make sure you check out Matt's quick hit segment with Nikki McKinnell Marler for some great free resources. So let's jump into Big Data with Lacey Keller and our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to the next episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt, your host. Great show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about big data. We're not talking about the coronavirus. We're actually talking about big data today. Joining me today is Lacey Keller from Griffin Strategies. They're actually based in the city and up in Westchester. So we're New York City people and Westchester people, and it's uh, been really interesting. So I want to uh, welcome Lacey to the program. Lacey, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Good. How are things up there in Westchester these days and down in the city? Westchester, we're fully closed down, of course, and, and New York City is, is pretty scary, but we're trying to keep it together. Yeah, it's been uh, been nuts, right? Every day is different, and, uh, and I, I see it's been like some slow days and some busy days and some days that you're pretty much slow all, all day. And, uh, at the end of the day, you get a, you know, you get that job in. So hopefully by the time this episode airs, uh, this is all going to be a thing of the past and uh, we're going to be moving on. And, uh, I want to say we're going to be getting ready to go back to work, but uh, who knows these days. So tell me a little bit about your background. What, uh, what did you do before you got into working for Griffin? Yeah, thanks. So I'm originally from Kansas. So to any of the listeners out in Kansas, hello, um, you're my home state people. I had moved to New York a, about 10, 11 years ago to go to graduate school. And I thought I was going to do international development and a whole bunch of, you know, humanitarian work around the world. And and God had uh, really gotten interested in doing um, labor economics and studying the, the workforce and, and data here. And so I, after my graduate degree, went to work for a labor union in New York City called um, SEIU Local 32BJ. And that's where I learned how to do a lot of the data work that I've been doing um, recently. One of my very first assignments as a lowly intern was to look up the square footage of over 2,000 buildings online. And if anybody knows their due diligence work, you find square footage and anything about buildings in the tax assessor's site. And so we built a scraper to scrape down that data. And that's when I realized there's kind of a 
an interesting way to go about data. Continued on to go then work um, at the AG's office, the New York State Attorney General's office for a number of years, where I created their data science and analytics program, and then now working at Griffin doing very similar type of work. So how did you see yourself like start off as uh, just kind of like a computer person analyst and realize that, um, hey, there's a a way to tie this into investigative work? Yeah, I, you know, if if you would have asked my mom if I would have ended up in this career, she would have laughed at you because I liked math just fine growing up, but I fancied myself as an artist, was going to go to art school for undergrad, if you believe it or not. But um, I always had a good thought for systems and building, I guess, like a a different way to look at things. And so I would always look at things from a different perspective or build a better system. And so when I was thinking about investigative work, it was not about being able to find data that wasn't already available to me. It was about finding that data that was available to me faster and in a bigger, better, stronger way. And so that was always kind of my driving light whenever I was doing any sort of investigative project was why do one when you do a thousand, you know? Right. So, so that's, I guess, where the, the term big data comes in, right? Cause there's big files, lots of thing, information to go through and parse through and, and pull out what you need. Right. Exactly. Um, big data, that definition changes. So any definition that I give today will be outdated tomorrow because the amount of data that we continue to produce as a society changes and, and grows, um, I don't know if it would be exponentially, but definitely grows every day. Right. Um, for example, Facebook had to actually develop a different way to store data um, because of how much content we were sharing on their platform. They had to completely develop their infrastructure to handle the growing evolution of, of big data, if you will. Yeah, it's really crazy to see when something like that just, it it takes its own life, right? It starts off as one thing and then it just starts growing and growing and growing and going in a, in a different direction. You don't even realize what it looks like from when it first started. It's, it's really interesting to see that uh, see that work. So I guess to you then, like the whole problem solving aspect of it, that's something that you were drawn to. Yeah, always. Um, you know, I remember when I was first starting as an investigator at the union, we would do a lot of public records investigations, public records research, what it was, 10Ks or tax assessors uh, documents to find that information. I remember the older investigators would tell us, oh, back in the day, it used to be the art was going to the assessor's uh, office and being able to get the documents and being able to sweet talk them into the public records. And now the art is in speed and volume. And so I think that as the, as the, the game has continued to evolve or, or the art, if you will, has continued to evolve. And so that's what I find most interesting now. Right. So it's your ability to get through things quicker, not, uh, Hey, I brought you uh, some donuts <laughs> or anything like that. Right? Exactly. No sweet talking. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So what was that like transitioning from uh, working for the government uh, to going into the private sector? I really don't like working by the billable hour. Yeah, <laughs> um, That's the hardest part, I would say. Uh, a lot of the content's the same, um, not in the subject matter, but in the approach. And even a number of the members of my team have come with me. Um, so the way that we work together and the way that we approach problems is very familiar to us. But, you know, we always attack a problem thinking about what is the what is the question that the client wants to answer and what do we need to get? What types of information do we need to obtain to 
um, to answer that question and to help them complete that investigation. So, so what does your clientele look like? Obviously don't name, name names. You have your, uh, you know, privacy agreements and everything like that, but the, the, like the typical client that would require this type of analysis, what does that client look like? You know, predominantly we're focused on, um, uh, plaintiffs, uh, law firms for sure, because to bring a case, you have to show cause. And so that's very, uh, useful information for them. And that's, you know, a, a position that we're familiar with, with being, uh, a, from a prosecutor, uh, prosecutor's office at the AG's office. So mm. coming from a prosecutor's office. So that, that position is very familiar to us, but we've also had a number of private equity cl- clients, nonprofit clients and government clients as well, all needing this type of information and support. Okay. Can you give me an example of like those type of agencies, like what type of data they would need and, and, uh, why would they be reaching out to you? Yeah, um, some agencies are are reaching out to us, especially governments are using us for helping them prioritize their work, um, which was a role that we often played for the New York State Attorney General's office. You know, governments are dealing with limited resources and they have to make the most of what they are, are given and what they're budgeted. And so they want to make sure that they're going after the biggest and the baddest of the bad actors, if you will. Right. And so we will help them prioritize, you know, whatever um, investigative, uh, uh, they'll give us a, an investigative subject area and then we'll help them prioritize within that area, which was something we did very frequently at the AG's office and we've done for a number of, of government clients. Okay. So if I'm like the average investigator out there listening to this program, um, you know, understanding that this tool is available and out there, what, what are some of the ways that um, the, the average investigator can say like, Hey, this is something that maybe I should call my client about and talk to them about and potentially contact Griffin and let's see if we can work together. Yeah. I always say if you have um, something that is big, messy or complicated is a good time to call us. Or if you're finding you're doing something pretty repetitively, um, you're you know clicking on the same thing or opening the same file or looking for some sort of pattern. Um, anything that's a, that is repetitious, large or complicated um, is a good place to call us. You know, we've worked with data sets that are in the trillions of rows, um, and we've worked with extracting text messages from PDFs and comparing them to, you know, trades that have occurred on a given day. So, you know, there's the possibilities of what we are able to do are are pretty pretty open. And so, if you just have a creative think way of thinking, that's a that's a good time. Awesome. Uh, that's a good client to have. So, so you do financial investigations, huh? Like uh, looking for uh, people that are dumping so- stocks and things like that. I have in the past. I haven't in my current role, but that's yeah. definitely. I've got a couple folks that I've spoke to uh, for even potential matters. So, lots of lots of opportunity there too, especially considering most of that data. You know, there's really rich data sets when it comes to trading. Yeah, because I, I, I'm uh, assuming that's going to be a hot topic <laughs> coming up with the, the way you're hearing is some of these folks dumped all these stocks before our country <laughs> yep, <laughs> took a dive. Exactly. Uh, I know there's and they're pretty, been some rumblings. Yeah, just lining up those dates and looking at those positions is pretty easy and all of that data from what I understand is public. So that, that's a, yeah. that's a pretty fun investigation. Somebody, too. somebody may be calling Griffin over that one. <laughs> yeah, <sure>. exactly. <laughs> so um, how about testifying? I, I know uh, every now and then you get called in, right. To, to uh, testify about this stuff, right? Yeah, I've served it. Um, I haven't testified yet in court. So that's, that's still an exciting 
benchmark for me. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I've definitely sat for depositions. For depositions, which, okay. <laughs> may, may even, from some people's perspectives, may arguably be worse. So, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see when I cross. Wow, well, I don't know. Spend a day in federal court and then come talk to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so, very interesting. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to jump out real quick. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you and I met and how we were able to build something uh, for the the personal injury avenue, just something that was different and creative um, and something that we've been offering my clients here in New York. So everybody uh, sit tight. We'll be right back. Kilimar Global is a proud sponsor of PI Perspectives. A leader in the industry, Kelmar Global has been successfully conducting all types of investigations for our clients since 1989. Specializing in surveillance as well as corporate investigations, insurance fraud, and cases for law firms, Kelmar Global is licensed throughout the U.S. Contact us at kelmarglobal.com. Please reach out to Kelly and his team if you need anything covered throughout the United States. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here today with Lacey Keller from Griffin Strategies. Lacey, welcome back to the program. Thanks. All right. So we were talking about how you and I met and uh, how we got uh, to do some business together. So I actually met you through the Certified Fraud Examiners. Um, They had a a breakfast meeting a couple of years ago and... uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go check this meeting out. Uh, doesn't seem like something that I do, but it, the topic was interesting. I think it, it was on big data. And uh, I'm like, I don't really know too much about it, but uh, breakfast is involved, so why not, right? So, uh, And all, uh, also the meeting was not far from my office. So I was like, all right, I'll go grab something to eat and I'll go into the office. So here I was, I sat at this uh, presentation, which by the way, was fantastic. And I was like a kid in a candy store. Like as soon as it was done, I, I know I came up to you. I was, I was like uh, the the kid who wanted to give uh, the teacher an apple. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, we got to talk, we got to talk. Uh, and you and I just started uh, like the, trading information and uh, just started chatting. And, and I remember one time I I uh, was out with you and, and your boss, and I was like, I don't know what we're gonna do together, but we're gonna do something together. <laughs> we just got to figure out exactly what it is. Um, he probably thought we were crazy too. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I just, I was amazed by, uh, by the story you were telling me of, of what you, you did. And we'll, we'll get into that next after we talk about, um, how we, um, how we uh, came up with this idea to, to go through city records. But, you know, I had initially approached you and, um, I was like, Hey, um, are you able to write uh, a code or a program that can analyze the New York City 311 uh, open data system. So for those that are local to New York City, you, you'll know that, I don't know, four or five years ago, the city just stopped uh, issuing paper. Everything just went completely on online with regards to their uh, 311 complaint system. So everything was, was uploaded into the system and you could do a freedom of information. And the idea was you filed your FOIL and you had to wait probably you know nine months to a year and even when they responded to you, you didn't know what you were getting back. Like you don't, you didn't even know if they were doing the right search for you. Uh, so we sat down and we started uh, talking about this, uh, these big numbers, right? So was, I think at the time it was probably about 19 million records. Was that, is that about right? 
Yeah, and it just keeps growing every day. Right, yeah. So it was 19 million at the time. I think about 65 different agencies. And, uh, you know, just a lot, a lot of data, which you could FOIL and they'll give it to you. They'll give you the data sets, but then they don't give you any tools to go through it. So you've got a PDF that's literally thousands of pages long. And they're like, we complied and gave you the data. Uh, figuring out that's your problem, right? So... <laughs> Uh, you and I had had a conversation. You're like, oh, yeah, it's real simple. You do this type of program and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, um, I'm not a programmer. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Um, why don't we talk about collaborating and having you write the program? <laughs> and I'll get the business and you do the work. <laughs> so, win-win for us. Win-win for everybody, right. So then we had to get the boss involved and, and uh, go and do this. So essentially, that, that's what we did. And I think it's it's called a Python script. Is that right? Yep, we write okay. it in Python, which sounds really scary, but it's just a very typical program language. Okay. So, yeah, like I have two left thumbs when it comes to programming. Although my eight-year-old's like a wizard. <laughs> he loves oh, doing every, it. Every kid's going to put me to shame in a couple of years yeah, yeah. based off what they're learning in school. It's crazy when he does. And the things he knows about, I mean, he, he, I'm, I'm embarrassed, you know, that he's uh, he's so far ahead of the game uh, for, for me. But... Um, Right. So uh, I approached you and, and said, okay, so this is this is my goal. This is what I want to do. I want to be able to find prior complaints of trip and fall accidents and uh, or slip and falls or broken hydrants, anything to do where, where somebody would call 311 to make a complaint about something. I would like to access that data. And I think we ran some tests to find out like what type of data came back to see if it even made sense. Um, and... Um, you know, sure enough, what, what was cool about it was not only did the complaints come back, uh, it, it would come back of, of when the complaint came in, how it came in, what day they acknowledged it, um, what they found when they went out and took a look at it and what the resolution was. So when it comes to like the legal jargon of all this stuff, just because somebody called 311 and made a complaint didn't mean that the city was on the hook for the repair. Really, what what was getting uh, our clients over that hump to be able to claim that they had prior and actual notice of it is them acknowledging that they received a complaint and then that follow-up work that they did. So that was the real, the meat and potatoes of, of that research. So it wasn't just, you know, showing like, okay, well, there was a complaint that came in on this date. It was more along the lines of complaint, the complaint came in, we went and took a look at it. This is how, this is what we did. Here's the unique ID number to that complaint. So basically, I wasn't actually getting the complaint itself, but I was getting record of it. So being able to file our freedom of information um, request using those unique ID numbers is like a home run because the city can't come back and say, oh, well, we exhausted all our research and there are no records available. Which whenever I see something like that, I'm like, "Mm, did you actually really do the work or did you take it from the left pile and put it in the right pile and just stamp it? Yeah, and, that, and, and some of, of that problems. data is particularly. I'm oh, sorry for cutting you off. No, 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 please. I'm rambling I'm so on here. To talk about yeah, this. you know, like uh, this is your this is your show. Like you're the guest here, and I'm like jibber <laughs> jabbering. So please cut in. When someone's calling three one one, there's also you know they might be let's say they're complaining about a pothole, right? There's this pothole in their street, and every time they drive over it, the, the car goes thump thump, and then they drive halfway down the block, and they're like, "Gosh darn this dang pothole! I'm going to call three one one." 
But by the time they call 311, they look up and they're like, oh, I'm at house number 345, when really the pothole that they're upset about is at house number 299, right? Right, right. And so the beauty of what we do is it's uh, geographic centers. So you look for an area of, of where the the accident had occurred and then we we build out a little bit of a radius depending on what type of complaint it is you know for slip and falls it's a little bit more narrow but potholes we we draw a little bit bigger of a radius to help capture some of those complaints when they come in because there's just a little bit of of inherent dirtiness to the data when it comes to 311. Well, I'm going to build on that story. So we had an actual case we did out in Staten Island um, where you guys had run the search for me and the person that called um, to complain about a particular, I think it was a fire hydrant that was broken. And uh, when they called it in, they gave the the exact opposite. Like they said, like the Northwest corner and it was really like the Southeast corner. So if you had filed your foil for the Northwest corner, you, it would have come back as a, a no hit, but because we had done that geocentric uh, search on it, it actually came up. And then when you dug a little deeper and you got into the meat of everything, you see that the the person that went out to take a look at it says it was reported at the uh, northwest corner, which is incorrect. It's really at the southeast corner. It's actually in the guy's notes. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. And then, you know, there was a whole log that we had gotten of the repairs and, and how they went and repaired it. And it was still broken and they had to go like three or four times. They couldn't figure out why uh, the um, uh, the asphalt kept collapsing around this fire hydrant. So it was uh, it was very interesting, which, by the way, was Department of Public Works. It wasn't like Department of Transportation or anything like that. Or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Department of um, uh, Environmental uh, protection actually protection. does the uh, the hydrants, not public works or, or transportation or anything like that. So that was an instance where the the geocentric search was a, a home run, and it, that's happened more than once. Because you, you really, I find when it comes to data, you're at the mercy of the person who's entering the information in. <laughs> so you really don't know if they're doing it correctly. You know, you're hoping that yeah. that they're doing it correctly, but you just don't know. Garbage in, garbage out is always what we say. There's a lot field. of garbage in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of garbage complaints, too. We yeah. haven't even gotten to look at those. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and one of the other cool things is there are different data sets. So, for instance, the Vision Zero for uh, for motor vehicle accidents. There are a couple of uh, highways of death out here, they call them. Uh, just the boulevards or intersections that are, um, they've had a lot of fatalities. And um, often when you have a case like that that happens and let's say the person who causes the accident has a very low insurance policy, the attorney's like, okay, well, I have no one else to take a look at. But if they're, if they have able, if they're, if they are able to take a look further and possibly do a design defect or show that there's actual notice of a problem at a particular intersection, you know, well, that adds meat to their argument as to tying in a, a city agency or, or a state agency uh, for, um, for poor roadway design. And that data is all there. You just need to know how to find it, uh, which, you know, we've had a couple of those cases that we've worked on too, where uh, it's just interesting, the, the the info that's that's returned, it's all there. You just got to know where to look for it. Yeah, New York City is an amazing city for tracking information. There's, it's. I'm always frustrated when I can't find something that I'm looking for in this city because we track everything from rats to the winning lottery numbers to baby names. It's all there yeah. and really easily accessible. Definitely, definitely. And uh, for those uh, folks that aren't in New York, it doesn't mean you can't do this type of stuff. So if the city that you live in is actually 
uh, if they're online, if their prior complaints are actually housed electronically, you should definitely reach out to Lacey and her team. They may be able to help you get that information and, and parse through it and, and be able to to do the same kind of research. It's, it's, it's not something that's unique to New York, right? Any city that has that type of system in place where there's this uh, electronic storage of, of uh, documents, you can, you can go through and analyze, correct? 100%. And it, it's, uh, I always tell people when they're starting a new investigation and they're not sure what type of data they can find, um, search for their jurisdiction's name and the word Socrata, S-O-C-R-A-T-A. Um, I hope I spelled that right. Um, that's where New York City, New York State all put their open data. Even my hometown of Topeka, Kansas has a Socrata open data platform. And so that's going to be your best bet for finding out whether or not a city has an open data portal. Those open data sites are very easy to use, very user-friendly when it comes to programming. So Right. Um, definitely check that out. Right. So let's say like the average investigator is not this big time uh, data person uh, or they may not have the need or not sure if they have the need. Like how would they approach it? Let's say you have a project and you're looking for for this prior information. Like what kind of advice can you give them to start off to do this type of work? I would definitely go to that Socrata site. It's meant to be very public friendly. It's not a bunch of coding looking type um, interfaces that look like, you know, it's only something from the matrix or CSI. So these, these platforms are very user friendly. You can typically put in, in the, in a, in a Google like search box, the thing that you're looking for, whether it's, um, you know, uh, online property records or if it's um, injuries or, or um, complaints, 301 records, if you will. Um, most cities have something like that. And so you can just type in that those keywords and they'll come up in a very user-friendly search box. And you can actually see, um, you'll uh, if you're on a Socrata site, you'll be able to see even the first X number of rows of data as well. Um, some sites are more robust than others in allowing you to kind of play with and visualize the data that you're looking at. So you don't have to be a, a, an expert programmer to go see if there's some there there, if you will. Um, you can just go explore it yourself. And then when you're ready to take the the deep deep plunge into the full thing, then, then that's when you should call me. Right. So what would you say is like the most frustrating type of assignment that comes on your desk? I hate assignments when there's no data there um, and it seems like there should be, right? There's just some questions that there's not an ex, uh, there's not a data set that's tracking that information, but it seems super obvious um, that it should be there. Um, I, of course, now that I've said that, no example comes to mind, but... <laughs> But that's, you know, I think when you're working in data, some of the things that we do are, it's almost wizardry to people. They, they think like, well, you can make anything happen. And sometimes, I, you know, we can't make things happen. We don't invent data. We use the data that's given to us. And so if it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. And that's a very frustrating part of the job. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, speaking of like compiling and counting everything, uh, I was listening to Governor Cuomo talk today and he was talking about the uh, 400-something thousand, I think it's 463,000 cases of uh, coronavirus um, in the world right now and how every single one of them has been cataloged of symptoms and like how, how long they had it and what you know what led up to it, how they recovered. And there, it, I think John, John Hopkins University is still yep. tracking all this stuff. And it, it's really kind of fascinating when you think about it. Uh, and they're, they're running predictive models off that. 
right? Yes. To, to det- try and determine when we can all go back to work, which yeah. hopefully by the time we're all listening to this again, we're all going back to work, but uh, you know, we don't know. But, uh, you know, data is essential. It really is essential for us to, to um, you know, predict patterns and, um, you know, gather information and answer questions, right? Yeah, of course. And I always wonder, you know, like my family, of course, now that this uh, coronavirus uh, is going around, the first everything that I get is like, Lacey, what are you doing? Are you tracking this? Are you looking wash at your this? hands. Wash what your hands. You <laughs> yeah. So everyone's wanting me to write reports on this as well. But the experts are out there doing a great job. But, you know, whenever I get a data set, I also always wonder what's missing from it. Right. And right. so in all of these predictive models, the thing that's missing is all the people um, that aren't getting tested, right? People that are being told to stay home because there's not enough testing. You know, it makes me wonder what that's going to do to the results and the prediction models. Yeah, it definitely is just going to be big asterisks by whatever numbers yes. there, I think, yeah. right? Uh, and that's for any data set you're looking at is what, yeah. do, you know, that's that dangerous quadrant of what do we don't know? What, what do we not know? What do, oh, I, now I can't say it, of course. It's like, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And that's the terrifying quadrant. What don't, you don't, know don't what worry you don't about know. it. We're going to fix it in post-production. You're going to sound fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about that, uh, you know, one of your success stories. Um, if, if you, do you remember what you talked about at the Certified Fraud Examiners uh, uh, with, the, with the cargo shipping or... Can, can you talk Boy, about that one or you when, got something different? I've got a ton of different cases. And whenever I give this talk, I probably rattle off 20 or 30 different things that we've used data for just to get people's uh, wheels turning. Because I think when people hear data, they're like, oh, financial cases. I don't have financial data. I don't need data. Right. And to be honest with you, one of my favorite cases that we worked on was uh, a dumping case. It was an environmental protection case. It started actually as a public corruption case, if you really want to go into the the background of the, the investigation. So a company was dumping fill dirt into a public park out in Long Island. And they were getting the dirt from New York City and the and the debris from New York City construction sites. And so what we wanted to show was where that dirt was ending up. And what it took a number of, of different types of data, whether it was GPS data from the trucks themselves, the public records of the permits from them doing the demolition jobs, and then actually the customer list from subpoena data to tie that whole narrative all together where we could show exactly a dump truck going into New York City, picking up uh, fill from an active uh uh, construction site, um, a demolition actually, and then driving out to this park in Long Island and dropping it. It was fascinating. And it's all three different types of data that I don't think anyone would have thought, you know, a good investigator would do by hand, but no one maybe right. would think that we would do it programmatically. And that was just very exciting to be able to, to tell that story. And one of my colleagues, he's still at the AG's office, put that, that work together and he did such a fantastic job. Yeah, that's, uh, th- that's great. So what was the purpose of trying to, to, to prove all that. I mean, assume it's litigation. So was there something that the AG was trying to um, uh, issue fines or something for something not supposed to be there? Or? Yeah. Um, I think they were, they were trying to, I'm actually not sure if that investigation is still on. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, well, sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm never mind. I don't, yeah. But, um, <laughs> and Lacey was I, never I, heard I was, from again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, no. um, Maybe we can pick another example. Sure, give me something else. I've got a really great um, FinTech example. And this one just settled. um, uh, They just settled and they got some guilty pleas. So so 
this example that I've got here was foreign currency exchange. And to be honest with you, I don't understand how foreign currency exchange was working. It wasn't really necessary for us. We needed to just show, we had a bureau come to us and they said, there are trades that are occurring that are fake. The traders are, are talking about them to pump up the market, but they're actually not making these trades. And so what we want you to do is go through these chats, see which ones are fake, and then see which ones actually occurred at the end of the day. And we did so programmatically by just seeing, did that currency exchange that day at all? Um, if not, that's a big red flag. If it did exchange, did it exchange at those rates? That's a yellow flag. Those went on to be reviewed by attorneys and so on and so forth. And so we were able to go through multiple exchanges um, and programmatically go through all these trades that they were going to have some poor guy, you know, poor investigator go through by hand painstakingly one at a time to try and filter through these. And we were able to do it programmatically. Cut cut forward a few months um, and we, the AG's office was able to secure a guilty plea and a, a very large settlement um, from these persons involved as a result of this work. And so that was very exciting to see some case that we wouldn't have even thought, wow, extracting chats and text messages and comparing them to, to trades, like who would have ever thought that that was data? But that's very much in the type of uh, investigation that we would do. Yeah, very creative. Exactly. It was always kind of our favorite partner when somebody would say, you know, I've got this crazy idea. Can we do X? And that was always such a great partner for us because they were thinking about the big picture and what was possible, but just lacked the ability to do it. They were either like, this is going to take us way too long to do by hand. And so we need a computer to help us. Or they, the data that the, itself was just far too large and it definitely needed some computer assistance to get through it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, goes back to how you and I started doing business together, right? I have this problem yeah. of the, I need to get access to this data and I can't do it myself, right? And, and they don't even allow me to go down there and go through the records anymore. They, st they stopped they stopped all that, right? You, you can't even go down there and say, okay, I'd like to see the files. They're like, no, you got to file a FOIL. And uh, you know what's going on now, which is funny, is... You file your FOIL and you wait and you wait and you wait and wait. And then like nine or 10 months later, they'll shoot you an email and they'll say, do you still need this file? <laughs> and, I'm pretty sure I still have an open FOIL with the yeah, city I'm like, days at the union. <laughs> yeah. I needed it like nine or 10 months ago. Yes. I still need that file. <laughs> and then they're like, yep. oh, okay, we're just checking to see if you still need it. We're not ready yet. We'll get back to you. <laughs> you know, it's like, you gotta be kidding me. That's, um. That's what it is. I, I, I posted this on LinkedIn the other day. I don't know if you uh, it came across it or not, but I kid you not, I filed a FOIL two years ago. And you just got it? Two years ago, and I just got it. Shameful. Excellent. Shameful. Two years. And it's like, it was like Department of Transportation or something. Like It wasn't even something that was like crazy. You know? I wonder why. Yeah, I was like... I, I embarrassingly like sent it over to my client. I'm like, I don't know if your case is still open or not, but uh, this came through, you know, that's why I could never like, I can never tell them like, Oh, I'll bill you when I get the file in. You never get it. Unless I'm you collecting interest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You'll get that five day response immediately. Oh but yeah. And the actual yeah. information. Yeah. That's the other thing, you know, Oh, we're, we acknowledge this. We've got 20 days to answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the clock. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I have one like that from Long Island. It's literally a year and a half old. <laughs> so. Oh, for sure. I, I think when I was at the union, I was trying to foil 
some building records and they were very visibly available on the website and scrapable if you wanted to, but I was trying to be nice. And so I decided to foil them and that was just, I never saw it. I actually left the organization before I saw the end of that foil and that was multiple years. Wow. That's crazy. So enough about our foil war stories. I'm sure we're putting (laughs) everyone to bed over here. Um, Can you give me another example uh, real quickly about, um, you know, how, how the average investigator can, can tie in this type of research to the work that they're working on? Yeah. Let me think of a couple others. So I would say social media is a really great place when you're doing an investigation to really try your hand at data. One, because um, the documentation, so that's like the user manual on how to access that information, is really fairly well written. And you don't really have to invent the wheel. You just follow the directions. And I always tell people, if you can put together IKEA furniture, you can learn how to code. Okay, well, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Let's not judge anybody, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not particularly great at it either. So I just take my time. I break a few things along the way, you know. (laughs) Those pictures are confusing. You got to make sure you got them facing in the right direction, you know. (laughs) Exactly. But it's very similar to coding. You have to make sure that all your case is in the right place, that you put everything in in the right positions in the right order. But it's very programmatic. And so I would say like social media is a, a place where you can get troves and troves of information, right? Let's say you're doing Twitter. You can get access to somebody's entire Twitter feed if it's public and see, you know, what are they saying and when, especially if, let's say, you know, we were talking about insider trading earlier. I was always obsessed with trying to find, like, tweets that were market-moving tweets, right, to see right. how a tweet would would occur and then um, what sort of changes you would see in the market as a result of that tweet. And so the similar things you can see for personal injury cases, you always hear of of insurance companies monitoring a person's uh, Instagram or Facebook to see if, you know, did they apply they said they broke their leg, but then the next day they're hiking. You always hear about, you know, war stories like that. So definitely social media is a, a great place to get started and, and probably pretty obvious to, to some folks when it comes to, thinking about places for big data. Right. So how do folks get a hold of you if they uh, want to talk to you about data or, or have a case maybe that they want to bring you in on? Yeah, sure. There's our site, griffinstrategies.com, which is a little hard for people to spell. So I also send people to my own personal website and then it gets transported over to the right place. And so my my personal website is laceykeller.com. So you'll see some great news articles on cases that we've worked for in the past and and some good self-promoting uh, <laughs> literature there. So uh, all right, cool. that's so, a good place to find me. Yeah, and we'll put all that stuff in the show notes uh, so folks can find you real easy. Hey, this was fun. We talked about data. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm always, always happy to either excite people or put them to sleep when it comes to data. Yeah, no, I think this is good stuff. I mean, when I first met you, I was like, wow, this is really cool. How can I apply this to my, my space, right? my industry, like what I do, how can I, how can I use this, this talent that this woman has, how can I use it to, in my own business and how can we all make money doing this? Yeah. I mean, it's like you could see the smoke coming out of my ears while you were giving your talk because, you know, the hamster was uh, running overtime (laughs) on the wheel (laughs) to get things going. I love even just spitballing. If you, yeah. if, if folks are in the audience and they're like, boy, I'm just really more curious about this, but sure. I'm not sure if there's anything there. I love sitting down and brainstorming stuff like this and seeing if there's something that we can do, because I think it's just really 
fun to think of the new and innovative ways to, to think about an investigation. And I, I would say, Matt, you had said earlier, it's very creative. That's what we are. We're always thinking outside the box of sure. what is this thing in column A that we can put with column B right. to come up with result C. Right, right. And, you know, hey, if you're just uh, like getting out of school or or just getting into the investigative uh, world and this is something you think is, is interesting, I know you guys, uh, you, you do um, have entry level positions where you take people in and you, you train them how to do all this stuff, right? Yeah. A lot of my favorite people and my, and my most productive hires are actually either career switchers where people were doing some other career, but they thought, boy, I'm really interested in this data thing right. or brand new students that I've trained up from the beginning because it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Um, you have to think very creatively and, but also always keep in mind, what are we trying to answer? What are we trying to solve here? Sure. That's uh, that's great stuff, Lacey. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, yeah, and taking the time. And uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I asked it that if you enjoyed this episode or, or any of the other episodes that you make sure you, you go out and you give us a, a, a rating and a write a review and all that stuff, it helps. So thanks again, everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you at the next episode of PI Perspectives. Thanks. Thanks for checking out this episode. It was really interesting to see how Matt and Lacey figured out a creative way to use big data on personal injury cases. Lacey and her team offer first-rate service when it comes to this type of investigative work. Her contact info and more are in the show notes. We also want to thank Crosstracks, Delft Point, and Kelmar Global for sponsoring this episode. Please, folks, check out their sites and consider using their services. Make sure you use code PIP20 for additional savings. Next week, Matt welcomes Tanner Rutledge from Tennessee to discuss child custody investigations. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications on Matt's Quick Hit segment. These segments will also cover industry updates on COVID-19 shutdowns and issues. Now have a great week, stay safe, and thanks for tuning in to PI Perspectives.